Good evening. Our meditation tonight comes from selected passages in John 14 to 16. Um, I want to start with one of those movies that, I'm not a guy that cries at movies, and you can talk to my wife about that, but this movie series gets me choked up from time to time. It's a classic from the 90s. Toy Story, anybody? Why do I cry at talking toys on a screen? I don't know. Toy Story 2 has one of those scenes in it. Um, there's the cowgirl, the yodeling cowgirl, Jessie is her name. She's Woody's buddy. They come in a kit set. They never met each other, but they met each other in the second movie. And um, there's, there's the scene where they're both supposed to be boxed up, and Jessie will be boxed up and uh, shipped away to a museum somewhere, I think in Japan, where they'd be put behind glass on display. And Woody makes a plan to escape the boxing up and go back to his friend, you remember his name? Andy. He goes back to, he wants to go back to his friend Andy and there is um, Jessie sitting all alone and she knows about this plan and it's sad because now she's about to be boxed up and lose her friend at the same time. Woody comes up to her and she's sitting on a windowsill looking out and he looks up at her and he says, what are you doing up there? And Jessie says, I'm looking at the sunset for one more time before I'm boxed up. And Woody understands that he's kind of abandoning her, so he, he begins to say, you know, a Andy, let me tell you about Andy. This is the reason why I'm going back. And she stops him and she says, let me guess, Andy's a real special kid. And he kind of looks like this, and he's like, she knows what I'm talking about. She says, Emily was the same way. And then the montage, the flashback happens, and that famous song, um, When She Loved Me, comes on and starts to play, and the scene goes back years and years and years when Jesse was sitting on the little bed, and, and Emily, her, 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 her master, comes in, and she starts grabbing her off the... She grabs her off the, uh, the, the, the bed and she starts playing with her and there's horses up on the wall. There's horses all over the place. The whole room is decked out and they're dressed alike and she starts riding her around and playing with her and they put her by her side in the backseat of the car and that little girl holds Jessie by her and they drive out to the park and they go on a tire swing together and then they jump in the leaves together days and hours and weeks and years and months. They enjoy this together. One day Jessie is on the bed and as there's She's making the bed. Jesse falls underneath the bed. And the days and weeks and months go by, right? And all of a sudden, the horses on the dresser disappear, and they're replaced with makeup. And she stays there for what seems like years, and the friends come in, and they don't play with dolls anymore. They do their nails together. And she's gathering dust under the bed. One day, uh, Emily comes in, and she drops something, goes under the bed, and she accidentally grabs Jessie, her old doll, and Jessie's happy again. She puts her in her purse, and she can drive now, so she gets in the car, and they drive out to that old park where they used to play all the time, and Jessie's happy. She has her old friend back. She gets out of the car, and as she's going to the park, Jessie's dropped in a box, along with all of the other cowgirl stuff for a donation on the side of the road. And Jessie watches as Pastor Dan's crying, and Emily is driving away. Come back to the scene with Woody, and she says, yeah, you never forget kids like Emily and Andy, but they'll forget you. 
You know, it's often this time of year that I think about the people that are forgotten. Or maybe the people that have forgotten you. Maybe it's the people who are going through their first Thanksgiving and Christmas after losing a loved one. Or maybe it's the common thing where many, many people this time of year, although we're supposed to feel happy and we're supposed to feel joyful and we're supposed to feel connected with, with people, we feel more distant this time of year because we have a loneliness inside and it's real. I remember a good friend of mine saying this to me. They said, I'm surrounded by lots and lots of people and I keep myself really, really busy, but I feel all alone. I feel like I'm dropped off on the side of the road. They didn't say this, but this is what they meant, like a Jesse. Um, we are, as human beings, we feel the need to be connected because that's how God has made us. That's the first truth. But the second truth is we are terrible at keeping these connections alive because of sin. Because of sin, we break up relationships. Because of sin, we mess up the friendships. Because of sin, we break up marriages because of sin. And we can even try our best. You know what happens at the end of life ultimately? is that we are put in a box by the side of the road and we lose, we lose the people that we love, our friends and, 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 and our, our loved ones. And so we feel and we can understand this feeling of loneliness and it's always there in the back of our head. And that feeling had to be going through the minds of Jesus' close friends, his disciples, in the moments and the hours before he would leave their sight. And it wasn't that he didn't prepare them for that because he had been talking about his departure. I'm going to leave your sight. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going, to, you're, I'm going away. And they reacted in some very human ways, the ways that we react very often when, when we feel abandoned. Um, you know, uh, Peter was, was angry when Jesus started talking about this initially, and he pulled him aside one time, and he told him to wash his mouth out with soap for talking about it. Anger, confusion, some disciple decided to capitalize on the departure and say it's happening anyway, so let's make some money off of it. Um, and, and, and fear and sadness, all of these at once that causes a disciple to chop off an ear of somebody that came to arrest Jesus. It, abandonment is scary, and we react that way, and the disciples had to be thinking of these things as Jesus was departing. It's not a natural thing for us as we're made for community, and now you have a relationship and a friendship with Jesus, and he's going away. And so Jesus takes his time, not just in the months before, but in the moments before, the hours before. Generally, we, we, we look at John chapter 13 or John chapter 14 through 17 as a time that Jesus does two things. He prays. He prays fervently to God the Father for his followers, his friends, because he knows what's coming. And two, he gives them beautiful promises. Gospel promises that are rock-solid foundation for them to rely on when he would leave their sight. Tonight, we come into here, um, into this evening with all sorts of emotions. Maybe we are that person that has lost a loved one. We're experiencing that um, recently, and we're going through the holiday season. Maybe we've been abandoned in our relationships, and we feel like there is no such thing as a relationship that's sustainable. But Jesus comes in, and he says this. He says there is a relationship that is sustainable, and it's one that actually was strengthened. It was strengthened by his going away from his friends, and he's going to teach us tonight that the peace that he gives 
is the foundation of that, of that relationship with God so that we never have to feel like God is foreign to us or that he's dropped us off at the side of the road or that he's going to leave us behind and drive away. Two places we'll go tonight. The first one is that Jesus, in his promises, he says that when he goes away, and he would, and in, away from our sight, that life on earth won't be easy. In fact, he says that the world will try with all of its might to rip away his peace from our hearts. Number one, in John 14 to 17, the world will try to rip away peace from our hearts. Um, Jesus, like I said, he's, he's talking to them and he's, he's telling them what to expect when he goes away. And he says this in John chapter 16. He says, they, the world, will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. John 16 verse 2. What he's saying here is that your faith in Jesus, your Savior, your God, will actually alienate you from the place that people come to do good and do moral things, like the synagogue, the public forum. Your faith will alienate you from these places that you would expect your faith in Jesus to shine, and it should. But those places are places that you're not going to be welcome, like the synagogue, the little churches around the places at that time. The faith in Jesus does that to us as Christians, too. It alienates us from the world. And it's not just that it alienates us from places. That means that our, our faith is offensive, our faith in Jesus is offensive. But he says that people will try to kill you because they think they are offering a service to God. Isn't that nuts? The very thing that we hold on to, our faith in Jesus, will not just be something that keeps us away, but people will pursue us because of our faith in Jesus. Now, how can that be? The answer is the world is pursuing a completely different kind of peace than the peace that Jesus offers you. And we're going to talk about that peace in just a moment. The peace that the world wants to offer us is a circumstantial peace. It's a peace that doesn't last. It's a peace that um, promises us the world, practically, and yet it is hollow at its core. And I can't find a more succinct kind of example of this written in such clear language. And it's so honest, too. It's beautifully written. It's honest, but it talks about this kind of fool's gold peace that the world offers. Have you heard this before? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Do you know who said it? And you have to admire the goal. That he wants to create peace. But it's naive to think that we as human beings can obtain a peace while we are so utterly corrupt from the very start. Um, this goes back all the way to Genesis, by the way, in the Tower of Babel. What did the people want to create? They wanted to create a world that is based on human effort, human ingenuity, human technology that was based on this new technology called what? The brick. And they said, we have this awesome technology and we're going to build a whole utopia around it. And God said what? He said, this is a, this is a disaster. What would happen if man took God's role on earth 
and tried to create a, a utopia, a society that had, God, had nothing to do with God. Well, what was going to happen is, is that this is going to be built up, and now man, whose intents are evil all the time, is going to create a world where, where he's the only ruler. What a terrible piece. And we've seen this, and I don't need, I mean, I don't need these examples, but they're there throughout history that the, 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 the societies that have deleted God from them, that there's terrible atrocities that happen. It's a tyranny, not a utopia. And it becomes more personal. It's not just a global problem. It's a personal problem. Because you and I want to create a world around us that's based around us um, by nature, too. And there's another reality that comes, and this is by another great poet, another great thinker and musician. And he says this. His name is Solomon. In Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 19, he says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So what is he saying? He's saying whatever you're going to build, don't expect it to last. Because in this world, life under the sun, the things that we build in our world or that we build in our little lives, they're not going to last into eternity. And this is coming from not just a musician from the 20th century, this is coming from a world ruler that has friends in other countries who, who people come to his country to get advice about how world uh, leadership should go. And he's saying none of it matters in life under the sun. Application. Do you get overly upset about the person or the party or the tribe who's in charge right now? Does it make your blood boil? Or are you too happy about it? Because guess what? Solomon says 10, 15, 20 years from now, it doesn't matter. Into eternity, it doesn't matter. Or is your happiness and your peace circumstantial? Some of you are, I know that we have People telling us, young people telling us, you know, I need some prayers, Pastor. I'm going through midterm exams, and we're praying for you. Trust me. But is your happiness, is is it based on a letter grade? Whether you're going into that physics exam as Einstein or whether you're you're worried sick that you're going to fail it, you're running on temporal, circumstantial peace. The same can be for your career. The same can be for even our family the day-to-day worries that we have. Are you worried about your health? Are you worried about, um, you know, your welfare, your finances? These are all things that are, are temporary peace in the world. They want to elevate them, and, and, and the world will elevate it to a point and say, that's the peace that we need to get to. That's the peace that you need to really feel safe. And yet, it's fleeting, it's going away, and it comes and goes like the tide. It doesn't do much for peace. So what's the answer? The answer is coming back to Jesus. And he he offers that peace because Jesus promises, number one, that the world will try to rip away his peace from our hearts because the peace that the world wants is so different than the peace that Jesus offers. When they look at Jesus' peace, they say, no, 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 that's not the peace that you should be going for. In fact, that's a threat to the peace that you should be, be, be pursuing. And number, number two, this is the beautiful promise 
for us, when the world tries to rip away that peace, his departure means the entrance of eternal peace into our hearts. And you see that here when Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Catch that last part? Do not be afraid. When the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias, when he came to Mary, when the angels came to the shepherds in the field, what did they say first? Do not be afraid. This is the great good news about Advent. This is the great good news about Jesus coming. Is that because he's coming, we have nothing to be afraid about. And even as he was leaving and his disciples had everything to worry about, humanly speaking, their friend, their um, provider, their master was leaving them, he says, my departure isn't actually something that you should be worried about or angry about or sad about or violent about. It's actually something, I'm accomplishing something far greater than the peace that the world offers. And so he says, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I don't give peace like the world gives peace because the, the world's peace is pathetic. It's pathetic compared to the peace that I offer you. There's a famous parable um, about a farmer. And the farmer had a horse that broke out of the uh, fence and the, and the, and the horse ran away. All the townspeople came to the farmer and the, they said to the farmer, what uh, bad luck, what bad fortune. And the farmer said, perhaps... Well, a couple days later, the horse comes back with two wild horses with it and comes back to the farmer. And the townspeople come to the farmer, and what do they say? What good fortune. And the farmer says, perhaps. A couple days later, the farmer's son is trying to train the two wild horses. He gets bucked off. He breaks his leg, and he's going to walk with a limp forever. All the townspeople come to the farmer, and they say, what bad fortune. The farmer says, perhaps. The army comes through a week later to enlist people, young men, for the army. They come to the farmer's house and they see the boy walking with the limp. They pass him by and they go to the next house. All the townspeople come to the farmer and they say, what good fortune. And the farmer says, perhaps. The disciples in this moment had to be looking at Jesus as he's being arrested, as he was going away from them. And they have to be thinking in their mind, what bad fortune. And Jesus looks at them and he says, perhaps you think this is bad fortune. But unlike the farmer, he knows what's about to happen and he knows what he's about to accomplish. And he says, actually, if you would know what's about to happen, it looks bad. But what I'm accomplishing when I go away, oh, you are at the center of my heart. You're at the center of my mission and I would not go away unless it was for you, but I have to go. And hours later, minutes later, from talking to them after this section, he's arrested. He's brought into a, a court where everybody's stacked against him, where the people lying about him, and, and everybody might be saying, what bad fortune. And Jesus says, no. He's quiet. And he goes in front of one of the highest courts of the land, the governor, and the governor knows that he's innocent. And he goes through all of the um, evidence, and he says, this man's innocent, but you know what? Kill him anyways. And everybody might be saying, what bad fortune. But Jesus says, no, no, no. And he's hanging on a cross between two thieves. And he's breathing his last breaths. 
And everybody that comes by, it was a tree that was cursed because there was a curse on that tree. And everybody that looked at it said, what bad fortune. But what Jesus accomplished when he went away, when he was arrested, killed, and crucified was that he was taking his friend's sin on him in his body, bearing them at the cross. Yours and mine as well. Perhaps that's the best thing God could do for us. And it is. So that when he rose again, he would bring us life. But he had to go away to do that from his friends. And when he ascended into heaven... Perhaps the disciples were still thinking, and they're still asking the question, actually, if you'd read it. They said, are you going to establish the kingdom of God now? Are you going to do it now? Are you going to build up your kingdom now? And Jesus says no. And perhaps they think to themselves, well, I thought that's why you came to do this. And he says, I'm going to go away. Perhaps that's unfortunate, they thought. But you know what? Jesus decided that it was too little a thing to create a utopia on earth. He decided that it was too little a thing to be the emperor of Rome, he, he was too little a thing to be the president of the United States or the king of his own continent, but that he would rise and ascend because he loved you and because he's your brother reigning over the universe, reigning over the universe, not just the governments, the universe, so that he's sitting on his throne now. Application. When I'm sitting here on earth and I'm thinking, Jesus, man, I could really use you to be present right now. He comes to you and he says, my peace I give you. And in fact, um, he says here, you heard me say, he says to his disciples, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. You would be glad that he's going to the Father because now I know when I'm when I'm desperate and I'm thinking about all of my sin and I'm thinking about my skeletons in the closet, I can think to myself, thank God that Jesus went away and died on the cross for me and buried my sin at the cross. Thank God that he went away and he rose again for me because now I know. I know that when my loved one or me, I'm put into a box by the side of the road, it's not saying goodbye. It's saying see you later because he rose again. And he's preparing a home for you, for me, for our family and faith, those who believe in Jesus in heaven. That's the peace that he brings. And it's the peace that he brings that says, you worry about your food, you worry about your clothes, but look at the flowers of the field. Look how beautifully dressed they are. And look at the um, birds in the air. I feed them, so why don't I take care of you because I've done all this other stuff for you too? And I'm... I'm not just the president of your country. I'm the king of the universe. Therefore, I work out all things according to the good of those who love me, Romans 8. And he could only do that if he said goodbye for now. He's coming back, and that's the point of Advent. Come close in the Latin. Come close. Yeah, I think that you and I are an awful lot like those people that were waiting for Jesus the first time, the Messiah, because we we're waiting for him to come close to us, and he does at Christmas. And we're waiting at the same time, and we're thinking like Isaiah. We're thinking, when, Lord Jesus, when are you coming? We want you to come, and we want you to give us that, that final rest, and he's coming. I remember being engaged. Uh, we were engaged for about a year. I hope that I get that right. Did Hannah leave the room with the kids? Um, 
we were engaged for about a year, and I was going to seminary, and she was going to her senior year in college, and it felt like we were like continents apart, but we were only six hours or so apart, and all we wanted to do was to be with each other, right? And yet, the fact that she had a ring on her finger and that I had put it on her finger gave me peace, that this wasn't a forever. But as Jesus says to his disciples, it's a little while. It's a little while. And every time that I'd do my homework and every time that I would go to my day job, and I'd think I'm going through the grind, I'd think to myself, but a year from now, a year from now, I'm going to be spending the rest of my life with my best friend. And that's what kept me going. And that's what kept me motivated. And that peace knowing that I put a ring on her finger and not that other guy, that she was mine and I was hers. When Jesus leaves his disciples and, he, and he's away from us visually right now, he hasn't left us because he's put a ring on our finger and we're his bride. And when he comes to us in the promises you heard tonight, and when you know the promise is on you because of your baptism and you get to receive that in his supper, isn't that awesome? It's a little while, like he says to his disciples, just a little while. And in the meantime, we can pray along with Isaiah in that same spirit, that beautiful hymn written by Johannes Olarius saying this, Comfort, comfort all my people. Speak of peace, so says our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, groaning from their sorrow's load. Speak to all Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. Tell them that their sin is I cover, that their war, war, warfare now is over. Amen.